0: Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through his word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church Share devotion and teaching through that day's SOAP scripture. Download the current SOAP reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Okay, good morning to everybody. Good to see each of you here as we gather together as brothers and sisters to study the Word. And I can't think of a better way to do that uh, than as a family coming to the Bible and asking the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. So let's put all that together. And let's let the Lord speak to us. Lord, we just want to thank you uh, for this brand new day. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, uh, of being able to come as a church family to study your word, Lord, and to open our hearts. And Holy Spirit, uh, we just thank you. You are the great teacher. You inspired uh, these words way back, and we pray you'd breathe on them again, make them alive, make them Uh, experiential to us. Uh, I know as we read it, Lord, sometimes it looks a little bit confusing, but we just pray you would just bring clarity to us this morning as we would look at Leviticus chapter 4. Apply it, Lord, individually to each one uh, as you see fit, and we thank you, and we just pray Jesus in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stretch just a minute. It's good for the soul. Uh, You can worship the Lord. You can Stretch your body, whatever you need to do. Um, Get a breath before we look at Leviticus chapter 4. Okay, here we go. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally, and any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, he commits any of them. If the anointed priest sins, so as to bring guilt on the people, and let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. And he shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the bull and slay the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the blood of the bull and bring it to the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip uh, his fingers in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord In the front of the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall also put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense, which is before the Lord, in the tent of meeting. And all the blood of the bull, he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he shall remove from it all of the fat of the bull of the sin offering, the fat that covers the enthralls, and all the fat which is on the enthralls, And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys, just as it is removed from the ox of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest is to offer them up in smoke on the altar of burnt offering. But the hide of the bull, and all its flesh with its head, and its legs, and its entrails and its refuse, that is, all the rest of the bull, is to bring out to a clean place outside the camp, where the ashes are poured out and burning on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel <coughs> commits error, no matter escapes the notice of the assembly, and they commit any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and they become guilty, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a bull of the herd for a sin offering. And bring it before the tent of meeting. Then the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. And the bull shall be slain before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to bring some of the blood of the bull to the tent of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in the front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. And all the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar a burnt offering, which is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he shall remove all its fat from it and offer it up and smoke on the altar. He shall also do with the bull just as he did with the bull of the sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them and they shall be forgiven. Then he is to bring out the bull to the place outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins and unintentionally does any one of all the things which the Lord God has commanded not to be done, and he becomes guilty if his sin, which he has committed, is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a male without defect. He shall lay his hand on the head of the male goat, slay it in the place where they slay the burnt offering before the Lord. It's a sin offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and the rest of its blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall offer up its smoke on the altar, as in the case of the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to his sin, and he shall be forgiven. Now if any one of the common people sins unintentionally and doing any of the things which the Lord has committed not to be done and becomes guilty, if his sin which he has committed is made known to him, then he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without defect for his sin which he has committed. He shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and all the rest of his blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. Then he shall remove all its fat, just as the fat was removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar for a soothing aroma to the Lord. The priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. But if he brings a lamb as an offering for a sin offering, he shall bring it, a female without defect, He shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay it for a sin offering in the place where they laid the slain burnt offering. The priest is to take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and all the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. Then he shall remove all its fat, just as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar on the offerings by fire to the Lord. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to his sin, which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Now, I'm sure you got all that stuff, right? Uh, Excuse me. Um, Yeah, you look at this, and, uh, you know, originally you just get like, you know, my mind kind of blows apart because it just, just so much to try to make sense of, and we're not used to this. We don't do these kind of things in our society. So you really have to kind of dig a bit to make a, a, um, a sense of what's really trying to be uh, promoted here. So a couple of things, I think, as I look at the book of Leviticus. It's very clear in Leviticus that God is an extremely holy God, and because he's holy, we don't go flippantly into his presence. There is a certain way we're to approach him and a certain way we're to have fellowship with him uh and i think that's what this whole book of leviticus is how does a person approach a holy god and that's what i believe the author is trying to lay out um and the three prior soaps you've been looking at different offerings okay there's the burnt offering which is really a a dedication offering where i i give my life to the lord here i am lord i'm yours do with it what you want um there is also a grain offering, which is basically a Thanksgiving offering. Thank you, Lord, you've blessed the crops. Thank you for all the good things you do. It's more of a thankful thing. The peace offering is more of a fellowship offering uh, that usually comes at the end where the person that sacrifices in God just hang out with each other and enjoy each other's presence. Uh, And here in Leviticus 4, we're, we're really honing in on The sin offering, which to me is really kind of the biggie, you might say. So that's what we're going to look at today in Leviticus 4, the sin offering. So as we look at the Bible, I want to give a little bit of an overview before we read. just jump right in here to Leviticus 4. I think an overview would set the stage, you might say, for what we're trying to say here. First, I think we need to realize uh, that there's different ways sin is expressed in the Bible. Uh, the word sin is used and sin is basically it's falling short of god's standard it's falling short of god's standard which is perfection so it doesn't matter whether you're hitler or whether you're mother teresa every person falls short of god's perfect standard. so one definition um, of sin is basically falling short of god's standard there's another word that's used for sin that's called trespass that means I've stepped over the line. And I think we've seen this with little kids when you say, now, now, don't do this. If you do this, you step over this line, you're going to get discipline. Um, Adam and Eve, God said, hey, guess what? You can eat all the trees in the garden, the tree of life. But God said, do not mess with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Adam and Eve did? They, they stepped over the line. They trespassed. Uh, They did what was wrong. And again, that's what the Lord deals with in the Lord's Prayer, where we pray that prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. Trespasses mean there's been a line in the sand, and we have deliberately gone over that. Uh, Another word for sin in the Bible is iniquity. And iniquity basically means twisted or warped. So guess what? We are born twisted and warped by a selfish sinful nature that's in each and every one of us you may say well it doesn't look like that way but just look at the terrible twos and you'll begin to see that warpness come out i want it my way and then you know we have a little battle there uh of the little kids so uh basically those are some definitions of sin uh let me just say this Uh, i think there are basically three basic facts about sin that are throughout the bible number one The Bible is very clear in Romans 3 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, everybody on this screen, myself included, everybody that's outside of this screen, every human being that breathes air, present tense, in the past or in the future, every human being that has walked the earth basically has fallen short of God's glory. All of us are sinners. That's one fact. The second fact I believe about sin is found uh, in Romans 6, 23. It says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So because we've sinned, it causes physical death, okay? That's why people die. Sin entered the world, it catches up to us and eventually it hits our body and then it gets to the point the body can't keep pushing and it dies. But when it says the wages of sin is death, it's not just physical death of the body. When we die, we know there's something beyond us, beyond a body. We have a a soul and a spirit. And when it says the wages of sin is death, it means if we entered into eternity in a sinful state, that God can't shake hands with sin. Uh, It's like oil and water, they just don't mix. And uh, basically, that's What it says when we die without Christ, we are basically separated from Christ. Another way of saying that is hell. In the presence, we know perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect love. What's hell? The exact opposite. It would be hate. It would be discord. And it would be absolute despair. So the Bible is very clear. All have sinned. All have fallen short. Uh, The wage of sin is death. We need something very desperately. We need a savior, or we are in a big mess. And that's the third point about sin. God has had a plan from the beginning of creation to be able to help us in our dilemma. We can't set ourselves free from our own sin, but God loved us. He loved you and I specifically enough that he sent Jesus into the world to take our place and to die on a cross to set us free, it says this in Romans five But God demonstrates His own love toward us, <clears throat> and that while we were yet sinners, here it is, Christ died for us. So I kind of been giving you some kind of a, an overview, a little bit of New Testament, but I think we need to realize that God prepared us for this by giving us the old testament the old testament lays a foundation so that we in the new testament can really get the full impact of the fact that Jesus came into the world to die for us as we look at the old testament as we look at Leviticus we see all these sacrifices and these sacrifices are pointing to Jesus they have a message to say they had a message to say to the Israelites with their limited understanding but they point us to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus. So let's take a look at Leviticus four with that background. And it says this, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally in any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and commits any of them. So let me make it very clear. It says unintentionally, okay. Uh, that means you you slip up. I know that happens to each of us. Something happens and we blow up and lose our temper. I didn't plan and, and premeditate, I want to sin. I just oh, got overcome by sin at a moment, okay? David, when he looked at Bathsheba, I don't think he was planning to sin, but sin grabbed him and he ended up into sexual temptation commits adultery and murders. He didn't plan that. It just kind of caught him by surprise. So a sin that's unintentional, God can deal with. But there's a different kind of sin, <clears throat> and it's a sin the Bible calls of a high head. It's a defiant sin. It's the sin in the sense the way Satan demonstrated himself, where he knows he knows what he's doing, and he deliberately decides to sin. For that kind of a sin, that kind of attitude, there really is no atonement and wiping away a sin. Uh, It says this in Numbers chapter 15, verse 30. It says this, but the person who does anything, here it is, the word, defiantly, in other words, you know what you're doing and you got it like you're just kind of telling God to blow off here. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is a native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord. That person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be on him. <clears throat> that could mean two things, or it could mean both. It could mean, A, they're excommunicated from the fellowship of the Jewish faith. They're kicked out. It could actually also mean execution. Uh, I guess it depends on a given situation which way it is. So the the sin of the high hand is something that God really says, you're going to live with it and pay a consequence. Uh, The unintentional sin, God says, I'm going to allow a sacrifice to deal with that. So again, uh, back here on board three, if that person sins unintentionally, if the anointed priest, now he's going to begin to lay out different kinds of sin. He's going to talk about a priest that sins. He's going to talk about the congregation that sins. He's going to talk about a leader that sins and a common person that sins. So there's different categories. They're all sinners, but they're treated a little bit differently. So he says here uh, in verse 3, If the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Also note, all these sacrifices had to be without defect you just don't bring anything in and i'll say a word on that down the road um you have to bring an animal that is healthy and whole no defect because a defect indicates in a sense you're giving god not not your best you might say okay so uh if the priest does that uh for he shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meeting before the lord he shall lay his hand on the head of the bull Okay, this is interesting, and when he lays his hand on the head of the bull, he's basically transferring his sin to the bull, and confessing his sin over the bull while touching it. Then he slays the bull before the Lord. I mean, that you, you slay the bull, and blood's spatting out all over the place. You get the message that your sin is costly. It costs the life of that animal, and blood's spilling all over the place, okay? Okay. Um, Then it says here, five, then the anointed priest is to take some of the blood of the bull, bring it to the tent of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in the front of the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall also put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense, which is before the Lord. So when the priest sins, the animal slain, the blood is brought into, actually into the tabernacle and it's sprinkled right before that veil that goes between the holy place into the holy of holies, and some of the blood is actually put on the altar of incense, which is right before you go into the holy of holies. So so basically, um, that's important, and what we need to realize here, a priest can affect a nation, or not only that, even one human being can affect The nation. Let me give you an illustration. In the book of Joshua, the Israelites march around Jericho seven times. They win the battle. They celebrate God's big, Uh, they're full steam ahead. They go forward. By the way, after that battle, the Lord tells Joshua, Tell the people, keep your hands off of all the spoils that are there in Jericho. In other words, the common person is not supposed to go get stuff. And then stick it in their pockets, leave it alone. Uh, it says there's a ban on that stuff. So the people of Israel are high. They go forward after defeating Jericho. They go to a place called Ally, and they go into battle thinking, "Man, this is, we're going to wipe them out just the way we wiped out the people of Jericho." And they're totally defeated. That's not a good picture. And then. The leader, Joshua, tries to figure out, like, Laura, why? Why did he go south here? And from what we can see, uh, there was a man by the name of Achan, just a common Israelite. And he did what he was told not to do. And he took some silver, and he took some gold and clothing, snuck it, and did what God said was wrong. And get this, the entire nation of Israel was defeated because one man, Achan. So I think sins have an effect on other people, not just we that get messed up when we sin. Our sin can affect other people, and it affected the entire nation. And here, um, the priest has to get his act straight, because if he doesn't, that's going to affect the nation. God doesn't dilly-dally with sin. He says, I'm holy, you got to deal with it, because if you don't, my wrath And my judgment's going to have to come upon that situation. So basically, uh, that's what happens when a priest messes up and sins. Okay, if you look at 4.13, there's another group of people. What if the congregation as a whole messes up and sins? 13. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel commits error and the matter escapes the notice of the assembly, in other words, again, sin is unintentional. They're not aware that they did something wrong. But as time goes on, they begin to realize, oh, mess. We messed up somewhere, okay? The light bulb goes on. Um, 13, and the matter escapes the notice of the assembly, and they commit any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done. They become guilty. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, in other words, when they realize it comes to consciousness, yeah, okay, we messed up. Um, Then the assembly shall offer a bull of the herd for a sin offering and bring it before the tent of meeting. It's interesting when the (laughs) Israelites as a whole nation do it, guess what happens next? Then the elders of the congregation, that's the, the primary leaders, okay? The elders should lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. So they're saying, okay, as the elders represent the people, we're laying our hands. We're transferring the guilt of the entire congregation on this bull Uh, and it says the bull shall be slain before the lord then the anointed priest is to bring some of the blood of the bull to the tent of meeting the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the lord in the front of the veil He shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar which is before the lord in the tent of meeting and then it talks about again where you get rid of the rest of the bull excuse me so The big deal here, again, is when the congregation sins, there has to be a sacrifice to make atonement and to bring people back into alignment and fellowship with God. Okay? Then we go with another one. Uh, What if a leader messes up? Verse 22. When a leader sins and unintentionally does any one of the things which the Lord God has commanded not to be done, he becomes guilty. And if a sin which he has committed is made known to him, Okay, he, he, he realizes I've messed up, I've sinned. He shall bring for his offering a goat, a male, here again, without defect. He shall lay his hand on the head of the male goat, slay it in the place where they slay the burnt offerings before the Lord, it's a sin offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood of the sin offering, which is on his finger, and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering. Interesting, sometimes the blood is brought into the veil other times, the blood is brought on the altar burnt offering, depending on what group of people sin, okay? So that's a leader. What about the common person? You and I, if we were an Israelite, look at verse 27. Now, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and becomes guilty, if a sin which he has committed is made known to him, Then he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without defect for his sin, which he has committed. Here again, he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, slay the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering, and the priest shall take some of his blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering. So here's the deal. Here's the ritual. If you sinned as an Israelite, You'd have to get an animal, and it has to be very clearly without defect. In a sense, you don't give God defective things. And without defect, in a sense, means it's a whole animal, a holy animal, you might say. And uh, let me just play that one out, uh, where we're told to bring an animal without defect. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 22, in verse 20, it says this. Whatever has a defect you shall not offer, for it will not be accepted for you. When a man offers a sacrifice, of peace offering to the Lord, to fulfill a special vow or a freewill offering of the herd of the flock, here it is, it must be perfect to be accepted, and there shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or fractured or maimed or having a running sore or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make of them an offering by the fire of the altar to the Lord. Uh, so basically, God's saying, do not do that. That's very interesting. Okay, God commands it, you know, but the people many times just blow God off, and they do their own deal. If you look at Malachi, uh, one of the Old Testament prophets, he rebukes the people of Israel. Straight out. I love these prophets. They got guts. So they go right in the face of the people and say, guess what? God said in Leviticus, this is what you're not to do, and guess what you're doing? Uh, Malachi 1, it says this uh, in verse 8, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But you will not. Entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us. With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? In other words, God's not happy. They're just giving him cheap, broken up altar uh, sacrifices. And God says, it's wrong. So, okay. So if we sin, we have to bring an animal without defect. It's very interesting. You have to lay hands on the animal, meaning I'm taking my sin, and I'm transferring it to the animal as I touch it. And to that, I have to slay it probably cut the jugular vein. Meanwhile, as I do that under there, there's a basin that's collecting the blood that's spilling out of the animal. That's the priest's job to get the blood. But think about it. I had to take a knife and kill an animal. I mean, how would you feel? I don't know if you folks have pets, you have a dog at home or whatever. How would it feel literally to take a knife and slit the throat of that animal and literally see it die right before your eyes. God's saying sin is horrible. It's horrible, it costs the life of the animal. And then the priest put the blood. So all these Old Testament pictures are pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus. Jesus is that lamb, he's the sacrifice, all the Old Testament sacrifice, all the different types of sacrifices. They're all summed up in the one sacrifice of Jesus, who only had to die once on the cross. Not many, many times, just once. John put it this way in John 1, 20, When he looked at Jesus, John the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away the sin of the world. Jesus did not have a defect or sin. Can you imagine 33 years? And Jesus didn't sin once, with his mouth or with his deed. I'm sure he had temptations that came into his brain and mind, but he shut them down just the way he did in the temptation in the wilderness. Uh, But Jesus was the Lamb of God without defect. It says here in, in Hebrews 7, 26, for it is fitting that we should have a high priest, Jesus, holy, innocent. And undefiled. That's how Jesus is defined: holy, innocent, undefiled. And if you look at First Peter, First Peter 1:18, it says this: Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Here, how were you redeemed? But with the precious blood, as of a lamb. Here it is unblemished. That's the way it has to be a lamb without blemished, and spotless, sinless, the blood of Christ. So Jesus is the sacrifice. He's unblemished. And what he did is, on the cross, he paid the price for you and me. He took the penalty. Isaiah 53, it says this in verse 5 and 6. Jesus was wounded. I'm putting it, it says he, but it's referring to Jesus. He was wounded and pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord, here it is, has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And in verse 12, it says, he himself bore the sin of many, and he interceded. For the transgressors jesus literally bore like a magnet on the cross he bore he pulled to himself the sin of humanity the sin of humanity before the cross the people that were present on the cross and all the future all the sin like a gigantic magnet he pulled it upon himself it says this going back to first peter again first peter chapter three (laughs) And it says this, 18, for Christ also died for sins. How? Once for all. The just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. He died for our sins. 1 Peter 2, 24 says this, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live righteously. He bore our sins. So friends, that's that's the good news today as we begin to wrap this up. We're, we're 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 as a human race we're in trouble. We're tainted with sin. Tainted with selfishness, and there's nothing we can do on our own ability or power or wisdom to wipe out that sin no matter how hard we try. Our conscience condemns us. It says you've fallen short. You're guilty. There needs to be a price paid. There needs to be somebody that needs to be uh, paying that price for what we've done wrong. We can't fix us. But the Bible says in John three sixteen, God so loved the world. God so loved each of us that he gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus into the world to, to be born as a baby, <laughs> but ultimately to grow up. And as a man to stretch out his arms upon a cross. And there the Bible says on the cross, he took your sin and my sin and our guilt and our shame and all the other mess that we've made with our lives. And he did it in pure love to put us back together again. So if by any chance you've never had the opportunity to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus died for, it's not overly complex. It's really pretty simple. It's just telling the world, hey, God loves you passionately. God loves you passionately, but there's a problem. You've sinned. We've all sinned. And we can't fix it, no matter how hard we try. But God fixed it by sending his son. And salvation comes by literally receiving and believing that Jesus paid the price. Thank you, Lord. You died for me on the cross. And if we really get the message, I believe this. If you know he died for you, it's not enough to say, thank you, Lord, you're my Savior. If you did that for me, the least I can do is let you run my life. Be my Lord. Not because I have to, but because my heart is broken by the love you've shown. I want to make you first. When we say those things, we become a Christian and we're born again. We're not perfect. We're on a journey to be made whole. But these pictures in the Old Testament at first, you know, you look at Leviticus, like I I said, Jason, is there any way we can skip this book? (laughs) Because it's messy and it's complex and it's confusing. But if we take some time to unpack it, there is a very powerful message. It's a picture in the old of what God's gonna do in the new. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Leviticus, Lord, as it foreshadows the death of Jesus on the cross. And do we know sin is a terrible thing. It cost you your life, Lord. Uh, And we just thank you, Lord, uh, that you've given us an understanding of this as we get the background in Leviticus, the importance of the sacrifice, the importance of realizing sin is costly, the importance that a lamb had to be provided, or a bull, and Lord, for the importance that you are surely the lamb of God and you take away the sin of the world, Lord, for anybody here, Lord, that is overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Father, let them hear with fresh ears the good news that their sin, whatever it is, that they really want to let go of it. And if they really trust you as Lord and Savior, that sin has been paid for and it's done and it's over and they can move on without guilt. So thank you, Lord, for this amazing good news that has touched our hearts. And Lord, give us the ability uh, to share this good news with others as you open the door for us, Lord, Uh, that we can tell others of your tremendous love, a love that was sacrificial, and a love that was very personal. So, Father, we thank you. Bless my brothers and sisters. Send them out with your blessing and with the power of your spirit. And it's in your name we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. May you folks have a great day. God bless you, and keep on digging through Leviticus. We'll catch you soon.